Well, guys, we're back. Man, it has been some time since we recorded, and for that, we apologize, Cyber Chefs. But I'm not sorry. We're back. We're back, and uh, thank you for those who have reached out to us, mainly through our Instagram channel, about uh, requesting when the next show was going to be. So it got us, it got us like a new, a new like. Uh, yeah, we were reinvigorated seeing that, and just like, all right, people. People are actually listening. It's not just mom and dad. They're like, hey, when are you going to record next? Like, I'm kind of interested in this. I'm kind of interested in Bitcom, like my dad likes to say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, seriously, we appreciate that. Yeah. Absolutely. So, uh, yeah, welcome back, guys. Cyber Chefs. Um, this is the Cooking with Crypto podcast or talk show or whatever we decide we want to end up being in the end but hey it's a it's a work in progress you can find us on cookingwithcrypto.com we're uh, constantly upgrading the site making it more user friendly uh, with some really good information to kind of get you started on on learning what bitcoin is and what some of these other alternate currencies are and uh, getting uh, getting you better equated with the space that seems to just be growing like crazy so and we're learning with you guys yeah. We, we've, uh, these past few weeks, while <clears throat> we may not have been active on the show, we have been actively learning you know, what's been going on in the state of crypto, the new, <clears throat> new kind of breakthrough technology that's out there, and also just some, some new and interesting recipes for you guys. Yeah. And with that, Rob, tell us. Get us started with how we always start, which is with the, uh, the cooking, the chef tip. What did I just eat? It was yeah. delicious. It yeah. was delicious. <laughs> yeah. So we, we just we just finished up the uh, the meal that <clears throat> that I prepared tonight, and what it is is uh, I wanted to kind of take a, a little bit of a healthy healthy stance. Most of my most of my meals have been fairly 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 healthy uh, in the past, um, and this one is especially so. And it's actually it's actually a, a salad that I like to like to prepare and. In all honesty, I tried to find something that was as close to that was as close to Chick Fil A's zesty apple mm, cider yeah, vinaigrette that. salad because I just I love that that nice balance of like sweet, spicy, you know, salty. Yeah, yeah, really, just just a really good balance. And this was this was kind of what I found that hit all of those things. So what it is is um, the main ingredients. You're going to take a, a kale kale base and then a um, baby kale spring mix um, so those are really going to be your, your kind of two combinations for the actual base salads our base salad um, take the kale I think we use we use triple washed kale so it's already clean just take it right out of the bag throw it in a bowl throw the uh, the baby spinach uh, and, and 50% baby spinach 50 uh, spring mix mix that up Get it in a bowl, get it ready. I like to use a massive bowl. You see me eat trough. Yeah, basically eat out of like. First thing Rob said was like, "Is this the biggest size your bowls come in?" <laughs> I was like, "Yeah, this is like a normal cereal bowl." He's like, "Yeah, I like big bowls." I'll uh, yeah, I'll post a pic of the bowls that I like to eat out of. They're, they're literally like a horse feeding trough. Like you could tie tie the backside of it on the back of my head and be like. Of a feeding bucket for a horse. It's, it's similar to the food bullies from my Rottweiler scrolling up. <laughs> <laughs> I just stick my face in, no fork required. Yeah. yeah. So but, baby kale, spring mix. Yeah, baby kale, spring mix, and then actually a, a, a triple wash kale. 
Then take uh, strawberries and blueberries. Blueberries are easy, just sprinkle them in, handful, handful in salad. Strawberries cut up into, into smaller, smaller portions, chop them up nice and easy so they're easy to spear on your fork, don't have too big a mouthful. Um, then uh, what I did tonight was I had grilled chicken, and I'll talk about the grilled chicken in a minute. That's gonna be kind of the, um, the last piece that I talk about, but grilled chicken, and then tonight we tried something new. Uh, normally, normally I would use uh, some sort of um, oat-based, uh, oat cluster, or, um, yeah, an, an oat-based, or granola, thank you, or granola clusters with dried fruit, right? <laughs> So that's, that's always good to kind of give it a little crunch, give it a little fiber in there on top of the kale. But tonight we tried something new with uh, the cinnamon uh, kashi. Yeah. And it was fantastic <clears throat> nice. kind of thing. Yeah, that was, that was, that was Spencer's, Spencer's change to the salad and it, it worked perfectly. Yeah, it was, it was basically out of need. I mean, yeah. we had, I had no granola and there was sad faces all around. And I was like, but I do have kashi. And that was my first time having kashi, and I enjoyed it thoroughly. When improvisation goes right. Yep. And then the, the actual the actual salad mix was uh, <clears throat> dressing. dressing. Yeah, yeah. Mary's yeah. The actual dressing was Mary's raspberry vinaigrette, and it's a non-GMO oil-based uh, vinaigrette. Really good for you. <clears throat> Very clean. Not a whole lot of. Uh, not a whole lot of fat, not a whole lot of sugar, and just a little bit on top of all that goes really well. So the chicken, the chicken itself, um, and I'll put this recipe up. Chicken I marinated overnight. I took salt, pepper, um, a couple cloves of garlic, chopped them up, put them in a bag, uh, olive oil, balsamic uh, vinaigrette, a lot of balsamic vinaigrette, and just threw the chicken in there, mixed it up in a Ziploc bag. Zipped it airtight, sealed, threw it in the in the refrigerator for somewhere between somewhere between like fourteen and, and forty eight hours. You can marinate it for a couple of days if you want. It's an like overnight marinade. Yeah, it's an overnight marinade. Throw it on the grill, <clears throat> cook it up, char char the edges a little bit, get that nice the, that nice scoring on the grill marks, and you're good to go. Chop that up, throw it on the salad, and it turned out really well. It's fantastic. The nice thing about that too is how quickly. It sound, that sounds really involved, but it's really just a lot of ingredients that you can mix together while the chicken's on the grill. Yep. Put that chicken up, add duck, you're done. <coughs> so exactly. easy. So easy. Yeah. Gonna definitely put that in my back pocket. For yeah, and the marinade, the chicken by itself, you can just do that marinade and have the chicken with any kind of meal. It, it, the chicken yeah. is fantastic just on its own. No doubt. For sure. No doubt. So that, that, covers, that covers the cooking portion. What are we gonna cover on uh, block two? Cooking portion done. Yeah. Uh, all right. Yeah. So I guess we wanted to cover, you know, since we've been off, off, off air for, for several weeks now, uh, you know, life and things happening, work escalating, all, all these things, but, uh, no excuses now we're, we're, we're looking to, I guess, get a, a general state of affairs. Yeah. General state of crypto. And maybe just open a, a dialogue for the next 10 minutes or so about general state of affairs of, of cryptocurrency, of Bitcoin, of, and then maybe lead into, you know, the U.S. Senate hearings at some point, and then we also want to introduce, uh, at some point during the show, the Lightning Network and yeah, some applications there. Technological advance that we want to talk about. So, yeah, state of affairs. 
the price has gone down quite a bit since the last <laughs> match. Um, but it's... What was that the last time we... You know, I'm not sure what the price was on the last episode, but um, it's been pretty steadily declining, as most people know that have been in. Um, really doesn't worry me at all. I think that it's mostly related to the, the Wall Street futures hype wearing off more mm-hmm. than anything. And then a lot of new entrants, not just to crypto, but to investing, um, really getting scared off at the first sign of any trouble, which is kind of a perpetual cycle that just continually shakes more and more weak hands, as they call them, out, mm-hmm. which is not disrespectful, um, but it's exactly what new investors are to seasoned investors there. Weak hands. Yeah, they're immune to these kinds of shifts in the market and they take advantage of them. It's kind of why you keep hearing around the space, you'll see this HODL, this HODL concept, and that's people who have been around for a while, who have seen dips of 70, 80% before in this space, you know, several years back, they're all saying, hey, just hold through the dip cycle. Like, it, it happens, it's a part of its nature. That is that is the antidote to, to the sell-off, for sure, and it stops it, but um, there's that problem combined with a lot of people not only fear in the marketplace, but also that want to trade, a lot of greed going on, people that want more Bitcoin, myself included, <laughs> wanting to sell it off and let everyone else sell and buy back lower. And that becomes like a compounding effect um, across the whole market that I don't think has anything to do with the technology. It has really more to do with the immaturity of the market. And as it gets bigger and bigger, that volatility will go down. Yeah, so we, uh, so I think the last time we recorded, uh, it was in January, I believe. Okay. Early January. So we had just, we had just really taken the, the brunt, the immediate brunt of our kind of downtrend and bearish market. So we dropped, we were, we peaked in December 18th, 19th. Yeah. Right under two. Right at yeah. Right at nineteen. Right the week. The week of uh, of, of December eleventh. So talking <laughs> Bitcoin, but also um, market yeah. cap of all cryptocurrencies, it was like almost eight hundred billion. That's true. Yeah. At the time. Yeah, that's right. It was it was it was closing in on on a trillion. It seemed like we were definitely going to hit that, and uh, Bitcoin just drastically dropped that following week. From it ended up going from. Just a hair under twenty thousand, uh, twenty thousand dollars of Bitcoin, all the way down that very next week to a low of uh, ten thousand four hundred. So a fifty percent drop in one week. Well, over the course of two weeks, right from start yeah. to finish. <clears throat> so from there, we we've entered into a. Uh, a bear market for the last several weeks and we've gone from that peak that peak of, of crypto all the way down to the the bottom so the bottom of the market at least for Bitcoin was <laughs> went from twenty thousand all the way down to five thousand eight hundred and seventy three dollars. Wow. Like about seventy five percent so right so yeah I mean you have this contingency of, of hodlers which um, have held through a lot of ups and downs. And what's funny is, when we look back at this, again, we're, we're all new to this game, but when you actually look back historically, this has happened the past several years, 
in the same in the same general time frame. Mm-hmm. November, December seem to be high peaks. peak months, almost peaking in the year. Sometimes the it peaks earlier in the year, uh, a few, quite a few years earlier. Um, but then January, February, January especially is a, a down month historically, yeah. and. You never you, you try to relate it to something whether it's yeah, there's so many theories yeah, out there Chinese New Year's yeah. one of the theories or it's sell off to pay the tax bill for the previous right. year but <laughs> I don't know if any of that's true I think it, it may be but it could be a combination of all those things but it obviously is something that as as kind of beginners in this game it wasn't something that we had looked far enough back in to realize the trend was there no one mentioned in December that's true <laughs> no, 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 except for except for for Tome Tome shout out we're at the freaking peak of this thing and Tone is like guys like this is great and all but I really like I'm I'm really hesitant to be bullish here like I think I think we may turn bearish in the next in the next week or so and we could be looking at a drop all the way down and he was calling 75 as the bottom he called 75 as the bottom at 20 grand we were at the top he was calling and we bottomed hard at 75 it fell a little lower a few days later but yeah you made a good move if you bought on that call yeah you did yeah yeah you did so we're back we're we're, it, it seems as far as general state it seems like things are are at least looking somewhat up. We're not out of we're not out of that that bottom trend yet and, and having gone full full bullish, but we are we are having some upside. We've gone all the way from you know that five thousand seven hundred mark all the way up to just shy of twelve thousand. Mm-hmm. And now we're hovering in the between ten and between ten and eleven. Yeah. 10, 5.30 on GDAX as we speak. Yeah. So so the market is, is, is at least trending up from what seems to have been the bottom. The question, though, is we need to sustain this for at least another week or two to really turn things back bullish again in the market. If we don't, if we don't, we could be looking for a drop even lower. And some, some of the numbers we've heard have been as yeah. low as... Thirteen hundred, two thousand. Yeah, two thousand dollars. Scary to think about. Yeah. But at, at the same time, this price action, as we're really in a price discovery phase, as as they call it, mm-hmm. it doesn't alarm me as long as the fundamentals are sound, and the fundamentals are better than ever, as long as I've been following it. Now that we've yeah. struck, we've struck yeah. our two hundred day moving average and bounced off of that. You see that a lot in your typical, uh, your 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 standard markets. Right, where the two it to bounce off the two hundred day moving average is actually a great sign for investors, and shows some opportunity yeah. in, in reinvestment and actually like doubling down. Which in this case, if you were if you were one to sell at the top, like what what's your, what's the guy this the guy you followed? Uh, Vin Zen. Vin Zen. <laughs> that's one of Tones. Dude, tell Vin? tell Spencer what you, what that what? guy what that guy said. Uh, no, not Vin, not Vin Zen. Which one? The oh, crypto bot or not crypto bot. Crypto you know. Kobe. Crypto Kobe. <laughs> Lil Kobe as Lil he goes Kobe. by on Twitter. Yeah, Lil Kobe. Crypto Cobain. Lil Kobe is his handle. Um, he yeah he called the top at twenty thousand. He's <laughs> he's like I'm close. 
He's like a parody account that really has a lot of like funny jabs, and it seems like he's not serious. But if you look back along the way, he's calling the price like a true pro all the way down, and that includes a fall to six thousand with a spike back to twelve. Like he's he called at seventeen thousand a bottom at six, I think, which we had fifty nine hundred or something back. At 17,000, everyone else I was following was sure we were going back to new all-time highs. What did he say? He said, he said like, all right, I got, like, ra- rappers in the club that are... Oh, yeah. Saying, like, yeah. yeah. The tweet that cracked me up at 20,000, it was, it was DJs in the club shouting out uh, Bitcoin, uh, KFC with their Bitcoin bucket, and <laughs> Ripple, <laughs> Ripple market cap coming to number two. He's like, I'm close to calling a top on this motherfucker. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was it. And that's exactly what happened. Like, he was exactly right. And that's a good thing to look for and something that I will definitely be more aware of going forward. When people approach you that have, don't know anything to do with crypto, that aren't tech savvy people, when they're coming up to you every day knowing that you're nerdy enough to listen to this podcast and nerdy enough to be invested in crypto in 2017, which forget about 2015 and stuff. If people are starting to come up to you then, like you're nearing a point of mania and that's where the bubble's gonna correct. Yeah. That's, that's it. I mean, yeah. we definitely hit that cause we, it was we there. were, we were thinking, Oh, 10,000 is going to be the next mark. And it got crazy. As soon as we hit 10,000, we, boom, we were rocketing up to 20. Yeah. I can't tell you how many people I've never spoken to at work came up to me. Hey Marshall, how do you buy Ripple? <laughs> Things like that. Wow. And yeah. I was, that's, it didn't even mean anything to me at the time, but in hindsight, that's something to look out for. Like when the public, and eventually it will reach full penetration to the market, but when you really see like a huge influx of people, yeah, those are the kind of people that are susceptible to getting dumped on, as they call it, which is what can cause these kinds of price runs where as soon as it goes down, they exit. That's true. Because they don't know about the technology. Yeah. Um, but we're all three in it for the technology, I think, which mm-hmm. is, uh, the more I learn about it, the more sound it is. Yes. Yeah. I, I think that, so in, in summary, it sounds like, you know, we had a huge spike up in late December, followed by a huge correction uh, right after that, like going into the new year, into yeah. early January. It bottomed, it went as high as 19.8, uh, 19,800, and went as low as 5,800. And now we're hovering in the mid tens right now. Yeah. So we're kind of in this like interesting, I don't know if it's like a no fly zone. It's more of just like maybe it's starting to get ready for it's either it's next uh, bullish path. Yeah. We're cautiously, cautiously and optimistically bullish. Yeah. Uh, but we're not out of the bear market yet. And, and really though, this is the other point I wanted to make in the general state of crypto is just explaining this to somebody else. Um, that I work with uh, as far as crypto when compared to the altcoins and how this whole space works is you've got to think of it as a tidal system, right? Crypto being the moon and your altcoins being being the tides and the oceans. Bitcoin being the moon? I'm sorry, did I say it? Yeah, I'm sorry, Bitcoin being the moon. And so whenever Bitcoin changes directions or shifts, the entire system shifts with it because it is it is the market mover. It is the the majority segment in this space. 
And when that has, when it has a bad day, you typically see these things go crazy in the, you know, in the same direction. Now, if it stays flat, you see this, this dispersion of funds into all of those, all those altcoins. You see these massive, massive speed, uh, spikes in altcoins. So for a little while there, while Bitcoin was flat, you were seeing all these altcoins prosper. Mm-hmm. I think that's kind of a psychological thing too because this space has become very accustomed to completely ridiculous returns and volatility. Right. So as soon as Bitcoin stagnates, people are like, I didn't make 20% this week. What's going on? And they seek out the alts. Right. They're looking for the next moon coin. Uh-huh. That's a great point. Um, and that's just going to go with it for a while, I think. And it's just important to be aware of, like you said, Bitcoin's going up, everything's going up. Bitcoin's going down, everything's going down, with exceptions, obviously, to all that. Yeah, that, that was um, a takeaway I definitely learned. Like, and maybe not on the daily value, like Bitcoin may drop on a daily cycle, right? And some, you know, Ethereum or, you know, one of these others might go up, mm-hmm. but, but not on like... When you truly hit the bear cycle, which we just did, I think my biggest takeaway is what you just said, Rob, which is as Bitcoin overall becomes bearish over several weeks, you're going to see the whole, like the whole coin market capitalization dropped. The whole ecosystem. The whole ecosystem just got deflated as well. So, um, you know, that's not necessarily investment advice, but that's more of just be be knowledgeable of what is the market mover. Right? And just really quickly, one important note too, um, we're just, we are so spoiled as crypto investors with the returns. Mm-hmm. The price right now is still over $10,500. I think December opened around $7,000. It did. Yeah. It did. Very it, is, it is yeah. up a lot over any kind of reasonable time frame. Mm-hmm. It ran away a little crazy for a while. But you're really hard pressed to find any kind of six month time period where it's done poorly. I think 2013 would probably be the only time that that you could find that, and that's why I'm not discouraged by any of this. It's yeah. December's open. December's open was nine thousand nine hundred dollars. Okay. So So you would still be up if you adjusted. And like November 15th then or something. Maybe just a couple weeks before that. Give me a price. November November 15th. Sure. Just two weeks earlier. Uh, well, I'm looking at it on the monthly chart right now, but November, November's opening was 60, uh, 6,400. Exactly. So, and it's high, it's high was 11, 11.45, which we hit to, I think it was today or yesterday. We got right around that, yeah, that so point. With any realistic investment time horizon, it's not really a bad situation. It's just fallen a lot over this insane hype, this parabolic arc that it went on that was, who knows though, that's the thing. No one knew. It could have gone to 100,000, it could do it again tomorrow. Well, and I think overall, like, in 2018, I'm, I'm still bearish, and then looking ahead to 2019, I'm, I mean, sorry, I'm bullish. Uh, 2019, I'm bullish. 2020, I'm bullish. And a lot of that is, uh, and this is kind of transitioning into our next phase of the episode, where, you know, I'm bullish because it seems like the U.S. government, uh, based on that Senate hearing, kind of has a has taken a, a, an approach that that seems like it would be 
beneficial to to hold cryptocurrency. I don't, I don't know. Maybe, maybe you can yeah. Let's talk us. about that. Let's, let's move. Let's move into our next segment. That, that is that is the next topic we want to talk about. The SEC the SEC held a hearing. What day was that, Marshall? Do you remember? Oh, it was. Thirteenth or the fourteenth? No, I, no, there was this. Like a second statement put on the 14th. It was about two weeks earlier, maybe the 3rd of February, right around then. But it was yeah. the, the SEC, the Securities and Exchange Commission, and the CFTC, the Commodities Futures Trading Commission, I believe. Mm-hmm. The, the, the two chairs, they came and testified before Congress to discuss cryptocurrencies. Um, and I watched the whole thing live. I was done by how positive it was for crypto investors. I was really worried yeah. that they would really take like a kind of an uninformed position on the subject, but really they they seemed very informed. They seemed in tone in tune with the culture which as ridiculous as it is in 2018 is it's a Twitter culture. It's a meme culture. Yeah, and they culture. were throwing out HODL. HODL is in the official Senate record. Thanks, <laughs> <laughs> everyone. It's amazing. They, they got the origin a little bit wrong, but I'll give him a pass because he probably didn't want to tell the true story on HODL, <laughs> which you can find on Wikipedia. It's not an amazing story. So, okay, I'm not, I'm not quite clear on this meeting, though. So this gathering was between the SEC which is Security Exchange Commission, mm-hmm. and then the CFTC, right. Commodity Futures Trading Commission. Right. And those two parties met with the U.S. Senate. Yeah, the two chairs, so like the presidents, essentially. Okay. Um, the head of each of those bodies came and testified before Senate. Just um, They do these things pretty frequently in a lot of different subjects, um, where Senate is just kind of... They want to get a general testing. feel for things. They they have they're questions. They're testing the water for their for lawmaking as well. Like how, they're curious. How do we need to, yeah, yeah, these are hot issues we don't know a lot about. You guys govern them. Do you have the tools you need to continue doing your job? Exactly. And are there any things that we need to be concerned about that we should be writing laws on that sort of thing? Which is a scary, which is a scary, scary time, scary time for for crypto when they go in front of them because a lot, a lot of people were expecting you know, some sort of negative outcome of, of, you know, the, the hearing or the discussion and it to be very anti, uh, anti-crypto, um, maybe it was, it, you know, they were slightly cautious in their conversations about ICOs. I, I would say that they were, is re- they, legitimate. I, I would say they condemned ICOs for very legitimate reasons, which is that 99% of ICOs are unregistered securities. It is really no different, um, and that's like a legal term, but they're really, it's just like what a company does when they go to make an IPO to be listed on the stock exchange. They want to raise money from the general public, an initial public offering yep. the IPO. There's a lot of regulations around that to prevent scams mm-hmm. because companies are very, very good at stealing people's money. And that's a, and so the the flip side though is you can do private offerings, right? That's not an IPO. That's when they start soliciting funds from like venture capitalists and yep. very rich, sophisticated investors. And because the audience is considered to be more sophisticated, which is not necessarily true and probably becomes less true every day with the internet and free information, but essentially if you have a certain net worth, 
they relax the regulations on people stealing your money <laughs> because they expect you. To <laughs> it's be, true. They expect you to be more sophisticated. Registered investors. Uh, what is it? Is it accredited, accredited invest- investors? Accredited are- investors have a certain value that they have to be worth, or a certain value that they have have to be able to invest right. in order to become I, accredited. Yeah, I don't know off the top of my head. I think it's 500K, like liquid, that you have to yes. be ready to spend. That's the number that I, was, and, that I have. Yeah, yeah, so that's probably right. Um, exactly. And so basically what the ICOs have done... It's like, yeah, if you got money and you're dumb, well, yeah, you're fine losing it. But if, you're, if you don't have money and you're dumb, we need to protect those people. And that's basically what... Right, and so ICOs came along, and they decided they were going to just play by the rules of private investment, except they would offer it to the public. And not be regulated. And not be re- – that, that's the thing. If you yeah. want to let the general public buy into your business based on a white paper or a website or whatever, which is what most ICOs are, then you actually have to require with the Securities and Exchange Commission. Yeah. And they will shut you down if they don't think there's anything legitimate there. They won't let you through. Um, the ICO is basically a way around that. And a lot of people that are knowledgeable in that space have been calling it that for a long time. And they've been shutting it down. Um, so one of, the, one of the takeaways then from this gathering was that the Senate wanted to have more procedures or collectively they thought there, there should be more procedures around ICOs. Really, the SEC chair, um, the Senate didn't seem too knowledgeable on the subject. And one interesting thing, uh, the ICO space has kind of self-regulated in a lot of ways because the SEC chair's position on that has not been a secret by any means. He's been pretty outspoken on it. Yeah, Um, true. And as a result, U.S. citizens can't invest in most ICOs. Cannot. Cannot. The ICOs do not accept U.S. investors in most cases now. So um, most of the ICOs set up outside of the U.S. then. Right. Because they're afraid of the SEC. And they should be because they're unregistered yes. securities. Yeah. And, um, and then most of their funding for an ICO in a, is generally done through other cryptocurrency. Like put yeah, in. It's, it's, mainly, it's mainly through through the Ethereum platform. Yeah. Most ICOs are, are generated yeah. through the Ethereum platform, which is what Almost it's built 100%, on. Almost 100%, right? With yeah, exactly. ERC-20 tokens. Which, exactly. Which yeah. in itself was an unregulated ICO from inception. Yep. Which Correct. could have could have dramatic effects if you know they ever do um, change the regulatory environment around ICO. They could potentially go, go, after, go Ethereum. after Ethereum and... It seems like it's kind of gotten out of control at this point, and I, I figured they will probably only target new ones from this yeah. point, but I don't know. The Senate kind of asked uh, the SEC chair, like, if you're so adamant that this is, like, they're like, are you saying this is illegal? He was like, yes. They're like, then what are you doing about it? He's like, I've been screaming it's illegal since day one, but I'm not the police. Yeah. He was like, mm-hmm. this is, he literally said, the the people that are charged with enforcing the law are not doing their jobs. That's what he said, and I, I tend to agree with him. Yeah, right. so we're har- <laughs> we're harping, we're kind of harping on like the, the negative side of that hearing, right? right because Which, that's the thing they only focus on that yeah. negatively. Right. That was but the 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 majority, the vast majority, surprising enough, 
was when they started discussing Bitcoin and even Litecoin, I believe they mentioned a few times. Super pro-Bitcoin. Very, very pro-Bitcoin. Pro Bitcoin. Very pro-Bitcoin. Why do you think? And it was pro-blockchain. Pro yeah. They were, they were, because it was the technology, the underlying technology is what they kept saying, like, hey, this, this technology, one of the pieces of Bitcoin is going to change the way the way we function as a society. Right. Yeah. He, yeah. He mentioned it could revolutionize the way that they govern. He mentioned if there was a, if Bitcoin existed and they had somehow uh, incorporated uh, all of the, for lack of all the fuckery that was going on in the 2007 <laughs> and eight, with mm-hmm. all how over leveraged all of the banks were and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, he basically, he actually said he could have stopped the 2008 crisis if he could have watched the data in real time, how over leveraged all these banks were and known for sure that the records were correct as every record in the blockchain is. Um, yeah. As far as why he was so bullish, I think it sounds like luckily for the American public and potentially the world, he has young children that are around this age, Bingo. not young, but around our age, like millennial children that are interested in Bitcoin. He mentioned how he spent his entire life as, you know, he's obviously a pretty prominent financial figure yeah. trying to get his children in, interested in investing and trading and just finance in general and how they've had no interest. And he really was like, we need to take advantage of well, he said this now enthusiasm. Yeah, he said it's, it's changed. Like his kids, yeah. this is all they want to talk about. They never cared about stocks. They right. never cared about stocks, bonds, any kind of like... Yeah, you know, any kind of traditional trading platforms, and all of a sudden, like cryptocurrencies came around, and all they want to talk about is, is Bitcoin. Right, and they're coins. saving their money to invest and not to spend. And basically, he his takeaway was, he he said this. He was like, we need to encourage our young people to invest their money. Then, if this is the thing that they're interested in, we just need to make sure that it's safe, and we need to encourage them to continue to do it. Exactly. And he's like, and we've dove deep into this technology. And it's not only safe, it's potentially revolutionary. And it's it's important that we encourage them to invest their money rather than spend it all. I think that was the shooting star of the entire conversation right. when he said that. I was like, man, all right. Like, holy shit, this guy, he gets it. I I, I loved his approach, loved his angle. You know, it was it was well, well stated. And not to mention, like, if you have a if you have a child, ten year old, fifteen year old, twenty year old, you know, and they've been transacting on Bitcoin, let's say, for you know their most of their adolescence, and then you introduce them to a big boy bank account or a big girl bank account, you know, when they're eighteen or twenty-one, and then they realize the limitations that modern banking has on the ability to transfer funds, and they have this concept already of kind of if you hold your own keys, you are your own bank type type thing. And what do you mean I can't go peer-to-peer, like, transacting easily? I've been doing it with my friends for the last three, four, or five years. And, man, that's yeah. that, that changes the whole landscape. These kids are born on the web. They're born understanding technology at a deeper level than all of us were be, or are or able to because we weren't quite born into it. We transitioned with it, you know, as 30-year-olds. We transitioned with it and, you know, were adopting it at an early age. You know, I had yeah. I had the internet when I was eight, right? Yeah. It was slow and it was modem driven. Oh <laughs> yeah, dial up. You know, it was dial up and all, all the funny stories and yeah. the weird sounds. But you know, these kids were born with iPhones in their hands. So. Yeah, my niece and my nieces and nephews asked me. They they asked me, hey, why why isn't the Wi-Fi working? Before at that age, 
when I didn't even know my ABCs. Yeah. And they're asking like, hey, do you have the Wi-Fi password? I'm like, you can't even. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, Daddy, did well, they're ten years did you old. Change, did it's you about change, the same time. <laughs> Dad, I like my ABCs. Did you change the static <laughs> yeah, IP address again, Dad? Because I didn't get a new IP address when you, you know, renewed the CP lease. Blah, blah, blah. It's like, all right, oh, tell geez. me what letter comes out after C, and I'll give you the password <laughs> to the Wi-Fi. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just making a connection in my head right now, so you guys poke holes in this metaphor if it's, if it's weak. But in a, in a way, it seems like... Bitcoin is to banks as like the internet was to libraries for us growing up. Yeah. We're just old enough to remember. Yeah. Like, libraries is where you went for information. Yeah. Period. There was no internet. You had to look. I actually remember card catalog systems. Yeah. That's real OG. I, <laughs> I barely yeah. Before that. there were computers. Yeah, yeah, just barely like out. elementary. Before there were computers to look up the books you wanted. But and to that point, like internet replaced libraries, but it also replaced lots of other things, right? Right, and libraries still exist because they have a function, and banks will still exist because. Yep. I mean, you're going to need to borrow money from them. And internet. But you won't need to transact money through them necessarily, and you're going to have certain expectations on them, just like you do with the library now, because the internet changed your total expectation on receiving information. Yeah. I think you're going to see credit card companies today with with these big powerhouse credit card companies start to adopt more of a network technology approach and how do they run their own you know, mining nodes and things like that. This, I, I don't see another way for them to really compete with the actual transaction game. Well, the sure, deal- they're going to continue doing business as usual and support what they currently support, but then they're also going to have to figure out a way to get innovative. I feel like debit cards will be heard a lot more than credit cards because the beautiful thing about credit cards is they let you spend money you don't have. Yeah, that's true. You can't spend Bitcoin you don't have. <laughs> Not, not yet. <laughs> yeah. Until yeah. someone's willing to lend it to you at a ridiculous interest rate and lend you. A- yeah. Could you imagine what that interest rate would have to be with the fluctuations of Bitcoin? <laughs> it's not not feasible. But even then, you, you just measure it in Bitcoin. Even then, you won't be able to necessarily overextend. I would I would think because it's still it's still math at the end of the day. It's not. You will spend someone's bitcoins. I'm gonna I'm gonna redirect us to our, our next topic. Yeah, before we go down that rabbit hole. That's a whole that's a whole other rabbit yeah. hole right there. Yeah, it is. Let Spencer. Let's yeah. talk. Let's talk lightning notes. Okay. Today. Well, yeah. So we we talked about like a little early in the show about this big up and down uh, that we just experienced, and during that. During that huge hype cycle we saw in mid-December, late December, um, you know, we saw more and more transactions hitting the blockchain than ever, and some, uh, the Bitcoin blockchain that is. Yep. And, you know, people were screaming on social media like, oh, it cost me $30 to send a dollar's worth of Bitcoin. Like, what yep. the heck? Transaction uh, fees, you know, the these, mempool. Yeah, these transaction fees are way high. The mempool was way, like, overextended. There were a bunch of unvalidated pending transactions. Just Everyone increase was, the block size, Spence. Yeah, just increase the block size. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. Because that won't, that won't hurt, like, you know, the decentralized structure of everything. But Tell um, us why that doesn't work. Tell us why decentralization? <laughs> yeah. Or why, why it's, it just increasing the block size is not going to get us there. Um, well, really, talk about the solution. Yeah, the so the solution is gone. So yeah, so th- there is this concept of that you know we they've been working the we as the community and the, those that are developing this this next solution. It's essentially a second layer that is on top of the 
main Bitcoin protocol. Mm -hmm. So if Bitcoin is the internet. Think of this as almost like the killer application, kind of the email of the uh, of the internet, right? Mm -hmm. So if the Bitcoin blockchain is the thing that is is you know it's that true valid ledger that we can all trust um, based on the decentralized you know transactions happening, and you have this second layer called the Lightning Network mm -hmm. that has been being developed for several years now. Uh, a lot of it just really undercover and in the lower levels. Like you really have to be a nerd to seek out, you know, and understand what Lightning Network is and what it means. Um, so basically, it's it's a proposed system that's built on top of the Bitcoin protocol. It's a second layer, and what it will do is it will allow people to instantaneously send and receive peer-to-peer -peer payments with each other uh, with much lower transaction costs and transaction fees because the validation isn't, not every transaction goes to be validated on the primary blockchain. Right, it's Which between like low. two, and, and maybe, maybe I'm oversimplifying this, but it's between two trusted nodes, the, the first, what is it, the, 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 the first layer or first level of um, first level of, of familiarity, right, is between two trusted nodes. Like, I would be one node, you would be one. And mm -hmm. then if Marshall wanted to send you, um, send you a payment like we were talking about earlier, and Marshall knows me, and I have a node, a trusted node with him, he could send it through me to you. Right. right? Yeah. If you had no, you know, direct interaction with Marshall currently. Sure. Yeah. Well, so before we get into the too much maybe okay. technical detail, let's let's introduce this concept. So yeah, a lot of people said, well, Bitcoin can't scale to buy a cup of coffee. Like you're never going to buy a Starbucks coffee with a Bitcoin transaction because that transaction is going to take at least ten minutes to validate if it even goes in that next block, right? Yeah. So how is how is any business going to accept Bitcoin in that manner? Well. What Lightning Network does and what it allows is basically you set up a essentially a, a private connect peer-to-peer -peer connection. So Rob is a node and I, Spencer, am a node. Mm -hmm. And Rob, and we decide that we want to do we want to open up a payment channel. Mm -hmm. So what we do is we set up a public wallet that is SegWit enabled, and we basically have an initialized transaction that gets basically put on the on the blockchain. It's yeah. like, here's the new wallet address. Okay. There's such and there's this amount of Bitcoin that's on it. Mm -hmm. So maybe there's 10 Bitcoin in that wallet. Now, Rob and I can be can go through a series of transactions. Let's say I give Rob one Bitcoin uh, because I'm buying his car. Mm -hmm. And so that transaction will go to that public address and it will essentially establish a promise. Spencer promises to pay Rob one Bitcoin. So now, if you put in five Bitcoin, I put in five Bitcoin, we have a total net 10 Bitcoin. Yeah. Now, that transaction we just sent up says, all right, Rob has six of the 10 Bitcoin and Spencer has four, and that's the promise. Mm -hmm. But we haven't closed it, right? We haven't closed that connection. Now you pay me two Bitcoin because yeah. you want to buy your car back and I'm, you know, a sappy seller. 
and I sold it for double what I just bought it for. Right. All right. You send me two Bitcoin. Another promise goes onto that wallet, comes back to me, and it's like, okay, cool. Every transaction like that is agreed upon, like promise between the two parties. Yes, Rob agrees to send Spencer two Bitcoin, and Spencer agrees that Rob is sending two Bitcoin. Cool. So now the net comes swings back my way. I have now six Bitcoin and you have four Bitcoin. And then when the blockchain cycles, it captures the current balance of when it cycles of that of, of that wallet, correct? So it, it doesn't capture. Because what, what I'm thinking of is those side chains, that is, which is what we're talking about, those transactions, I can, we, what we can do is, you're talking about pretty pretty substantial transactions with your with, with what you're saying, but let's say we're just exchanging like a pack of gum or hey, I paid for your lunch, right? and we're doing this, so right now the the, uh, the hash rate or whatever for, for um, maybe not the hash rate, but the full cycle rate for a block to be created is like between 10 and 15 minutes. Yeah. So let's say it's, say somewhere in there. Well, as we get further along and more and more blocks get created, they get harder and harder to um, basically be mined. And so that time frame will expand. No, I think the code is actually designed to keep the time frame consistent. It gets harder because more um, the hash rate increases. Oh, because okay. more computers are being added to the network. Yeah. If no matter, it doesn't matter the time frame. Right. In the future, less computers could be on. Good, good get clarification. Easier. Let me step back. Let me step back in my explanation, then I'll get to the point. Okay. I'll get to my point faster. Then. Yeah. So in that fifteen minutes, you and I have made five very very small transactions. I bought you a cup of coffee. You've paid for my gum. I you know may have paid for our cab somewhere, mm -hmm. and we've had several transactions back and forth. Well, instead of loading up the blockchain with all those transactions, you every time it cycles, it shows the balance of your wallet and my wallet, and that that basically, that, that SegWit connection between us, what that total balance is and what we each owe, and that becomes... I, I think, I think you're, you're, we might be using some terms uh, a little out of context. Okay. Essentially, the way I understand it and the way I've, I've read it about it is that that public wallet is just a balance sheet. Think of it as our own little micro, yeah, that's, okay, our that's little micro ledger between that's, each that's other. That's a perfect explanation of what it's, I was it's saying. A, it's a micro ledger. So, there you go. Yep. A, I send Rob X Bitcoin, he sends me Y Bitcoin. What is the net? It's keeping track, that of public address is keeping track of the net. Yes. And they are, and those that those promises are not happening. They're not being validated on the blockchain, so they're not contributing to that two megabyte block, or sorry, that one megabyte block, right? But the net, the net balance is. Only, I, I no, don't think so. No, no, no. no, no. no. Only okay. when, only when we decide to close, right. or there's a dispute, right? Will the payment channel close? As soon as the payment channel closes, the net gets distributed. Rob gets four, Spencer gets six. That's the net that we had ten in there. And that gets locked in. And then that gets settled on the block. Oh, okay. And Very good the, clarification. The best little uh, simplistic way to explain it that I've heard is that on the Bitcoin blockchain, every single transaction is 
known to every single party. It's completely public. It's but on a light published. Right. Yeah. It's it's completely public. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, that and that's what why it works. But the on a lightning network, it works on a need to know basis, mm-hmm. which adds a second level of privacy as well, which has been a big criticism of Bitcoin, or at least a considered a limitation. But those who knew the lightning network was coming knew that this this is a totally uh, it's a solution to the privacy issue in a lot of yeah. ways because we can yeah. transact all day long in a way that. As soon as you receive your payment, you know it is irrevocable. I can't get that money back. And so you can rest assured that you received your payment. But the world doesn't need to know I made that payment. So, and, so okay. Can, yeah, I, can I jump yeah. in and go, and go a little, for, go a little deeper? Uh-huh. Now that I think we've established go this. Deep. Now that we've established that, all right, let's, let's extract this a little bit even further, all right? So before, our last example was Spencer and Rob set up a payment channel, yeah. right? But then let's bring in Marshall into the picture. Now Spencer Thank you. wants to transact with Marshall. But Spencer, you know, doesn't necessarily have to set up a direct peer-to-peer connection with Marshall. He doesn't like me. Because it's on the network, right? I can train because Rob, who's a really tr- back to your point earlier, Rob, you're kind of this trusted node yep. who kind of interacts with a lot of other nodes, right? Mm-hmm. If Marshall is one of those nodes that you interact with, and I want to pay Marshall, my payment doesn't, I don't necessarily have to directly connect with him. I could go through you, send the payment, it will then flow through you, you have no idea who is sending this payment, how much it's being sent, or anything about it. All you know is, I'm incentivized as a Lightning node to unwrap it, unwrap the package, and immediately send it to the, des- the next destination address. And then you can close that connection immediately after if you wanted, or? Well, so he never then, had a connection. Well, so then you have these chain of promises now. So we, okay. we mentioned that, that balance, right? Uh-huh. So we have a balance sheet between Rob and I, four and six, mm-hmm. five and five, you know, we're, we're, bal- we're going back and forth. Those are all just promises of payment, right? They're not truly, you know, written on the blockchain until the payment channel closes. Well, if you could keep a payment channel open seemingly forever, it could be a day, it could be a minute, it could be hours, it could be weeks, it could be months, you could years. I mean, you could set up payment channels all the time and you never necessarily have to close them. So what that's going to allow is as more and more nodes populate the lightning network, the more and more nodes that will all be connected to one another. And then payments can then happen as a chain of promises across a network that don't have any visibility on the blockchain. And then as, as payment channels close, you know, balances get adjusted all by a court, all in a trustless way, because it's just math. It's just okay. decimals. And computers are really good at dealing and, with and math. So I have to poke a hole in it just a little bit. Sure. Because and it may it may just be because we're kind of learning this, but if it is not substantiated and and basically recorded on the blockchain, and I leave a node open indefinitely and a paint or a payment channel open indefinitely, when when will that be recorded? It will only be, it'll be, it'll, the payment channel will close if the amount being asked to give 
can't if it can't sat, if the node can't satisfy the requirements of what it's being asked, the, the the payee will find a different node. It'll automatically behind the scenes find a different node to find its. And then that payment point. channel becomes closed, and that goes on the blockchain. As thing as payment channels close, they may close all the time. They may never close. Uh-huh. But as they do, they will settle. And once they settle, they go to their. It settles to their end parties. But it, when I say it settles, it's always been settled because the promises are keeping track of one another. Yeah, that's the, all written. The side chain is just as reliable as the main chain. It just doesn't have all the proof of work behind it, right? In a certain sense. Yeah. So like, and it's important to note you you have to load your funds onto the Lightning Network. So like they had to come that's, off the main. That was chain. my next question. So you have to load up your lightning node with however much money you plan to spend on it. And if you don't, and you can't it, get it on or off it, without that, settling that, that amount. To the main that budget. amount is basically your your accreditation. You become you become your own instead of your own bank. You become your own loan officer or your own loan institution. And essentially, that promise is if you if you sent me five bitcoin but i only had four on my lightning network it would be rejected by me and it would have to reroute our our channel would then be closed according to what you're saying right mm-hmm. and then it would go on whatever minor transactions we did that final balance would go on the the blockchain ledger right when yeah. a, when a, when, a, when a channel closes all the promises resolve from from the way I understand it, the promises all resolve, and then business is conducted as usual. Awesome. And an important thing, uh, since you're an engineer, Rob, this probably makes perfect sense to you. The reason they call it the Lightning Network, I think, is because the transactions always find the most efficient route between any two parties. It, we're we're using a very simplified example with three people. It could be you could be a thousand people removed, but if you have one person in common, which could be a major retailer or something like an Amazon the lightning network is going to automatically find the path of least resistance to that person in the most efficient way just like electricity finds a ground or right? just like just like nodes information like packets find it on the internet right it works just like that like right. nobody cares about how the internet transfers packets nobody gives a shit i know i don't well i do i do a little bit because i'm a web I engineer no but, idea how the internet works right exactly it's magic but you trust the fact that it <laughs> is what it is right and right when you send an email, you trust that that email gets to its said party, right? To its said email address. Right, and well, it's- However many nodes it has to jump to, it will find the path that it needs to take. Right, and it finds an efficient path, right? Yeah. For yeah. the math, yeah. which is, this works the same way. Yeah, it, this is exactly the same way. This is why it's very synonymous to the internet in a bunch of different nodes on making, yeah. standing up the internet. If you take all the nodes off the internet, you don't have an internet. There's right. a perfect analogy to this, and I'm trying to remember what it's called, but it's 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 basically you have um, first order. You you know somebody on on a first order basis, then when you know somebody through somebody, it's a second order, then third order, I, fourth order, and I think it's like degrees of separation. I always think of that. Uh, was degrees it? of separation. Six degrees it. of Kevin Bacon or something. What was it? Yeah. <laughs> 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 Six, six degrees of separation, you can know anyone in the entire world, correct? Is that, I think that's... It's something like that. It's something they like know that. Kevin Bacon. So essentially, like they, they're taking that theory and building this sidechain network off of that. And it's 
it, that that clicked in my mind and said, as an engineer, I should know this. I should have known the degrees of separation. It's just like but, that. Yeah, isn't that that's genius? It. And that's how anyone will eventually be able to pay anyone. And you're taking that theory and you're you're combining it with the the mathematical mathematical algorithm of what this space can do and the transfer of money and funds yeah. and making it available to the public without having to basically bog down. Right, and that's the whole key to this whole awesome. thing is all of these transactions are happening off of the main Bitcoin blockchain, which allows for true worldwide scalability. Yeah. So, so let me let me yeah. let's let's wrap put, it up. Yeah. Let's put a bow on this yeah. and give you some takeaways that I wrote down from the Lightning Network. Yeah. So, basically, the Lightning Network uh, will use a series of payment channels, uh, which allows users to transact with each other directly rather than broadcasting all of their business. Their to the public blockchain. So we mentioned that. Um, the architecture of the Lightning Network is still trustless, um, and it will always make sure that the funds reach their destination through the different intermediary nodes, uh, such as, you know, uh, you know, well, yeah. Currently, there is an implementation of Lightning Network that's running on the Bitcoin testnet, all right? So it's not necessarily mainnet ready, it's still kind of in a beta mode, right? Mm -hmm. um, but more and more nodes are being added to the network every day and populating and doing, basically testing out these transactions. So we're getting very close. There's a lot of, of talk in the community that's saying 2018 is the year of the Lightning Network. And there are thousands at this point, right? Yeah, thousands. there are over a thousands, yeah. And there were a couple hundred just a month ago. So it's, it's increasing at a very fast rate. Um, so yeah, there's no, and there's no like set date on when this will go live on the main net, but like we said, like we just said, there's, um, you know, there's a lot of good bullish speculation that it will come in 2018. The so, Bitcoin community is just very careful about ever losing anyone's money, right? Which is why Bitcoin is great. Yeah. Well, in, they're even being very that, careful. Losing trust. Right. As soon as Bitcoin loses trust, it will lose all of its yeah, unravel. That's what I tell people. Uh, I'm yeah. not scared if the price crashes. Tell me when Bitcoin double spends. I'll be terrified. Yeah, true that. Yeah. So, so uh, one thing, one thing I'm just gonna kind of note to you guys is on the 28th. There's a there's a local meetup that I had already sent you the invite to, and actually one of the topics of that meetup is to build a lightning node. That's, what? Yeah, yeah. So that's gonna be that's gonna be what they're going to do in that meetup. So that'll be really interesting to go and experience, and actually see how it's done. And then I think in our next episode, or at least one of the the few following, we'll want to talk about that process of setting up and building a lightning node because I think they're they're supposed to be able to function on much much lower power and lower uh, lower use cases and smaller processors. So there's a chance my old laptop will run it? Because there's a chance your old laptop may be value-added. <laughs> because I'm interested in setting one up, so yeah, yeah so we'll, that's we'll, something we can bring to we'll, Yeah, we'll have to, we'll have to uh, take, get some takeaways from that meetup. All right, so that kind of wraps up, that wraps up block three of the lightning nodes. Let's, uh, let's wrap this thing up. We've, we've gone a little long today, but it, it's been a while. So at least it's given you guys quite a bit of content to listen to. <laughs> Hopefully it's been <clears throat> entertaining and yep. you've at least got something to satiate your hunger in the meantime. 
I think we could go all night. So just let us know if you want. Yeah, it's true. We really, we really could. Just our general day-to-day conversation. I wish we could record half of them because some of the stuff that we talk about is just it's 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 pure gold to to record. Um, so the next, the last piece is going to be our life hack. Always, always our life hack for Block Five. Um, so the life hack today is it's kind of going to go uh, full spectrum and circle back around to the cooking aspect, and it comes down to it's a simple it's it's a simple concept and most people have heard it, but your safest knife in the kitchen is always going to be your sharpest knife. Really? And, yeah. And so the people think the opposite because they think, okay, sharp knife means I can cut myself easier. Well, when you, I'm going to put it in kind of an engineer's perspective. When you think about the sharpened edge of a knife, right, it's got the smallest surface area possible. It's got the least amount of lateral slippage. So if it's rounded, if it's, think about something with a rounded edge, it can slide off a rounded surface in any direction. Mm. So if you think about that in terms of a knife edge, if, I, if my knife is slightly dull, it means it's slightly rounded, so it doesn't have that sharpened edge. If I'm cutting something else that's also rounded, and that knife is dull, it can quickly slip off of that like an onion, which is often what people slice their fingers open with. It's tomatoes for me. Tomatoes or onions, that's true. You've got a hard, uh, a hardened shell or a hardened surface and a dull blade, and it can slide right off that angle and right into your finger. Y'all need to get a slap shot. So the life hack is really just buy the slap chop. Just don't <laughs> knives. Just buy the slap chop. You're good. To, you're golden. No, I'm definitely one of those people. Use that on your steak. Just keep up that You'll steak. You're way right. more impressive with a very sharp knife, though. <laughs> I definitely would have thought like you know maybe not the sharpest knife in the kitchen would be safe because you know it's the sharpest knife you know you, i guess you still want to be careful regardless if you're handling knives don't be drunk it does yeah. make it does <laughs> make sense i like the rounded the rounded uh, yeah so yeah two rounded it's, surfaces are going to slip off of one another yeah. all you have to do to understand this concept is use a razor sharp knife and yeah. you will instantly get it it does it just like They're, you said it's predictability. Exactly. It's predictable. They, they work exactly the way you would expect, whereas a dull knife can surprise you. And you start and pre- you you press. Cracked. And in order to make a dull knife work, you have to put more pressure on the handle. You press down harder and harder. That thing has more more force to slip off, and it comes down with more force. Oh, that's just why you lose a fingertip. Yeah. A dull knife will still cut you. Yeah, a dull knife will still <laughs> cut you. Have you guys lost any fingertips? Uh, no, yes. but I, I am using. I, yeah, like I have a scar for it. Yeah, that's true. He has. He has. It was a razor blade, actually, very sharp knife. But yeah. uh, that was a result of being in a hurry, cutting vinyls, not cooking. Yeah. So I, I have definitely like I've cut, I've cut my cuticle and like a couple pieces of like my finger. Never actually fully through the finger, but it's always been in the case of me cutting like a large onion that's very like you know, substantial and rounded and the dull, the knife being dull and not quite cut, like catching the edge like it's supposed to, sliding right off that onion and catching my finger instead. Thanks. And that's the worst, so. I like to the, put a little sliding next, action too. Is that a good chef move? So that's, that's shearing. Cut? So you can, you're, add, you're adding you shearing, shearing force to your cutting action. When you, when you have a sharpened knife, you're just thinking about the, the, 
the it pressure, matter, the right? pressure force, right? Because pressure is is your force over area. So the smaller the area, which is the the sharpness of the knife, mm -hmm. the the more pressure you can apply on it. The um, less amount of force you need to actually apply to actually create that shearing right, action right, to cut right. through the knife. Makes sense. So spoken like a true engineer. Like a true engineer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's super apparent when you pick up a really sharp knife. Yeah, yeah. exactly. It's instantly like, oh yeah. Yeah. This is way so that's easier. that's that's my uh, that's my life hack for today. And the real the real ploy there is if there's any like sharp knife dealers out there, I could really use a, sh a sharper knife at any point. So if you guys want to sponsor us, we're uh, we're open to sponsorship for donations. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, do donations is one thing, but hey, like, if I'll we get sharper, sharp yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll plug your sharp knives. Yeah, for sure. But if they're trash, I'll throw it off this I'll talk about cutting that delicious chicken and going to salads and sharp knife. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, we could talk about sharp knives for hours, clearly, but I guess this is wrapping it up, guys. Let's wrap it up, man. All right, Cooking with Crypto podcast. This is our uh, seventh episode, lucky number seven. And, wow. uh... Thank you if you made it this long for listening. You're a true fan and true believer in our cause. And uh, you can find us, of course, cookingwithcrypto.com. We're going to post this up on SoundCloud uh, and a new blog post on the website. Uh, check us out on Instagram, Cooking with Crypto, as well as Twitter. Uh, reach out to us if you want to have us cover a certain topic on the, sh on the show. We'd love to hear from it, uh, hear from you. So, yeah, with that... Uh, Guess this, this show's in the books. You want to? That's it, Cyber Chefs. Signing off. Signing off, Cyber Chefs.